Hello, everybody. Welcome to Good People episode 42. Today, I was joined by Susan Niebergall. She is a co-coach in the inner circle and has been a trainer in the fitness industry for 20 plus years. In today's episode, Susan and I talked about her start in the fitness industry, all of the fads of fitness that she's seen over her career, the importance of getting comfortable stepping on the scale, and some basic principles for daily movement, nutrition guidelines, and strength training that you can apply right away. Before we begin, if you guys are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please consider giving the show a rating. Any interaction that you have really does help us out a ton, and we appreciate it and you. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking part in this immersive listening experience. A meaningful existence is a moving target that no matter how close will always be out of reach. We hope this message finds you with an outstretched hand. As we attempt to uncover complex truths, remember, life's toughest questions can be answered if we all just focus on one thing. Being good people. Susan, welcome to the show and thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. This is, it's great to meet you. Yeah, it's great to meet you. We, we are the same, uh, we are of the same, what's the term? Is it alma mater? We're under the same alma mater. We went to the same Nuh-uh. School. Yep. You're a Duke? Duke. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, go Dukes. Oh my God. Yeah. Yep. Go uh, Dukes. We're a whole JMU family. My husband, oh, really? myself, my son. Yeah, all of us. Can you give me the 30,000 foot view of you, of Susan? The 30,000 foot view. <laughs> Well, I went to JMU, <laughs> graduated a long time ago, um, but jumping forward in history, because that was a long time ago, um, in the fitness industry now for 20 years, maybe almost 20 years, I guess, coming from an education background, I got my uh, bachelor's in music education from JMU. So I was a music teacher for a long, long time, was a school counselor, got my master's degree from George Mason University became a school counselor for most of my teaching career, got certified while I was a teacher uh, and became uh, a personal trainer at a local gym here and then built an online business. Uh, actually started my online business from um, the people at my school, the teachers and the faculty and stuff at my school. I, I trained them. Did Susan Niebergall Fitness um, hired Jordan Syatt as my online coach, and then he and I became partners with the Inner Circle. So that's primarily what my business is now. But I am this uh, typical middle-aged woman who um, had weight to lose for most of her life and grew up with all the fads and all the things and and never could really maintain a weight loss or or, um, or really be successful um, until I was in my mid-50s. And when I hired Jordan as my coach, and uh, from that point on, I started understanding what it was and what I needed to do and um, all the false beliefs I had for decades and just turned it all around in my mid-50s. And so like now my whole thing is, my whole message is it's never too late to change because if someone, an average person like me can make a lot of changes in her mid fifties and completely change not only how I think, but how I look, how I feel that anyone can do it. And, and I feel like there's so many women in particular, middle-aged women who feel like it's too late. Like, this is how it is. I can't ever lose the weight, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm here to tell them, no, you can do it. You can do it. And so that's kind of my soapbox <laughs> that I stand on. And, and, and I, 
I try to help people with now. That's pr- primarily my role in life. What are some of those things before that you were doing? And, and some, what, what were some of the changing characteristics that made such a big difference for you? Um, a bunch, actually. I, you know, I had gone through a lot of the fads of the whole no fat phase, right? Everything had to be no fat because the fat was making us fat. Went through that. I went through the um, you can't have carb phase, right? You, it, because carbs make you fat. Um, I did the more exercise is what you need. And don't worry about just eat healthy. Um, and, and the biggest was, and, and that tied to that was really the biggest thing is I just thought that as long as I ate healthy, I didn't worry. I didn't have to worry about how much at all. Cause it was healthy, right? More, the more I eat of healthy stuff, the better. Um, but I didn't understand that, well, healthy foods have calories too. And, and basic energy balance is how we lose weight. And I didn't understand that for so long. So I think the whole eating clean, you know, I put that back, I wore that as a badge of honor, you know, only just really healthy and clean foods is only what I ate. I deprived myself of things. Um, I ate very little to, to, to try to lose weight. And back in the day, and I want to say late eighties, early nineties, I did Jenny Craig right when it first came out. And that's that meal plan service. You eat their food and you lose weight. And I did. I lost 50 pounds that way. And on the surface, it's like, wow, that sounds great. But the problem is you don't learn anything. You just eat these little trays of food, which looking back on that now, probably I was eating a thousand calories total a day. I was hungry all the time. Right. And we all know that's not sustainable for any length of time. And it's going to be tough to maintain any kind of loss when you go a restrictive route. And, and so I fell for that too. You know, I did, did that whole thing. Um, I didn't maintain 50 pound weight loss. I lost and regained increments of that for decades, right? I didn't know how to maintain it. They didn't really teach you that part. They just got the weight off of you and you felt good about yourself for about five minutes until then you (laughs) realize, oh, you know, I can't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to survive in the real world. I don't know how to do anything, but eat these little trays of food, you know? Um, and, and so I think that was the biggest thing, getting sucked into a program like that, thinking that eating clean is enough. And as I've gotten older, uh, it, you know, eating healthy, we all want to be healthy with what we eat, but if you're trying to lose weight and you're struggling to lose weight, you need to do more than that. You have to know how much of that you're eating. And not only that, but what I've also learned, and this is really important, I think, is it's, it's, it is about eating the nutrient dense foods. Yes, yes, yes. We all want to do that, but it's also about eating the fun foods, the things that we love, because that's what's going to make this whole thing sustainable, right? If you don't allow yourself to enjoy, like I love chocolate. I have chocolate every day in some way. You know, if I wasn't allowing myself to do that, what's the point of life at this point? You know, I mean, especially at my age, I mean, it's like, I, you know, I'm going to have chocolate now. I'm sorry, but am I going to? overdose on chocolate? Am I going to have a ton of chocolate every day? No, I know how to balance it. And I think that's what was missing uh, for for me for so long. Mm. I'm a fitness trainer as well. And I was talking to a client actually today about this exact thing. And we, she's a, she's a Pilates um, instructor and she comes to me for some general strength and conditioning uh, to add on top of that throughout the week. And so her and I talk a lot about fitness and the industry, et cetera. And we were specifically talking about movement. Uh, we were talking about the 
I'm sure you're very familiar with. It's the 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 cool thing to say right now is outline everybody's muscle imbalances and all of these issues that people have, right? Yeah. And yeah. we were just talking about how um, usually trainers mean well, but there's this huge. I hesitate to use the word fear mongering, fear mongering, but it is fear mongering of uh, trainers who say things to scare clients, to make them feel like they need the trainer to fix all of their problems. And yeah. I would even say that nutrition is probably even more riddled with that sort of thinking because of all you. of the reasons. You should get a shirt that says, I survived X amount of fad diets because it's like. <laughs> There are so many people who have gone through that exact same thing where they try one thing and it works and then it doesn't, it doesn't last. And then they try the next thing and it works and then it doesn't last. And, uh, what you're saying and what you've gone through and what people who have a good grasp of this understand is that the reality of maintaining a healthy body composition and relationship with food is really quite simple and it's super accessible to most people if they just had the right kinds of information at their fingertips mm -hmm. uh, and were able to apply that to their own life. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's all about the basic stuff. The, uh, you know, it's very uncomplicated, as you said, but there are people out there that want to complicate it to the point where you have to rely on them and their product because probably they're pushing a product to finally lose the weight that you could never lose before. Um, and you know, it, it's like when, when people tell me, you know, I always go back to keto cause it always works for me. Well, if you're going back all this time, I guess it kind of doesn't work. Right. Because what's the good of losing weight if you can't keep it off? There's there, it, it makes no sense. And, and I think a good way to look at it is, is thinking unsustainable methods is going to equal unsustainable results. I mean, that's just plain and simple. The boring stuff is what works. It doesn't sell though. You know, it doesn't sell. And there are people, and I'm sure you get this too, that, that reach out all the time saying, you know, I only can lose weight when I eat 1100 calories. That's the only time I can lose weight. And, and I have to push back and I say, you know, here's the thing. You're probably very successful temporarily with 1100 calories because there's so few calories you have to plan. You have to organize, you have to structure your day so much so you don't go over this 1100 number that you seem to think you have to do. Whereas when you have more calories on board, you start, you don't plan as much. You have more to eat. You just go here, you do this, you do that. You're, you're a lot less likely to put in the same kind of effort when you have more calories available to you. And I think that's part of the issue. Not to mention that somebody that's eating 1100 calories, you'll be able to do that for just a certain amount of time. At some point, you're going to start nibbling over here, grabbing a little bit over there. You're then that leads to, I deserve this weekend off. You know, I was so good this week. I deserve this weekend. And so then you just party hard and have a great time on the weekend. And now you're back to where you started, you know, square one, you're just doing the same cycle over and over again, because who can keep that up for any length of time? I mean, nobody, right? And, and I think when people tell me, you know, I, the, I can't lose weight with any more calories than 1100. I think it's mostly because they stop paying such close attention to what they're eating anymore. You know, they're eating more calories than, than they need. They think they're eating 1500, but guess what? You're not, 
you're eating a whole lot more because, you know, you went out to dinner twice during the week and you're estimating calories. You're not weighing all your food. You're weighing some of it, but not all of it. You're guessing you have nibbles and grazes throughout the day, all of those things, right? So you're not really on top of it as much as maybe when you have to be at 1100, because I mean, there's so few calories you you're going to have to plan. It forces you to plan. Hmm. I'm interested a little bit more in your own personal journey with fitness. So could you take me through like a, a rough summary of the evolution of when you started getting interested in fitness and how it's sort of changed over the years? Yeah. I mean, you can take the clock all the way back to the eighties <laughs> when I was, um, I had graduated from JMU actually probably in the late eighties. Um, I did jazzercise. That was like probably one of the first things I ever did. I don't have a lot of memories about it other than I remember it being in a church basement and it was stuff that made me totally uncomfortable. I didn't want to do any of that, but it was like the thing back then. So I had to try it. Um, a lot of dancey kind of stuff, movement, and I didn't like it at all, but I just went, <clears throat> but that's where it started. And then I joined a gym after I got married and went to classes, right? I just went to aerobics classes where they had all, you know, step aerobics or whatever. And then the end with 10 minutes of light weights, whatever. I did a lot of that. That got me back into the gym a lot because the community was really good. The class and the instructor I went to, I loved. And so it was nice meeting people and all that, but I could see the free weight area over in the distance and kept watching what was going on over there. And I thought, I think it would be fun to try something over there. Didn't know what I was doing. So hired a trainer and I worked with him, boy, for a while. Um, I don't know if I saw a lot. I got stronger. I don't know if I saw a ton of visible results. He took me up to my pregnancy. Actually, I worked out with him maybe two days before I gave birth to my son. So he helped a lot. Um, uh, but I, that's where I, it first started. And, and then, I, you know, I switched gyms and I would get hire trainers at all the gyms that I went to, all of that stuff, um, and just started becoming a gym rat. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I had one trainer in particular that really changed. He brought kind of a, a nutrition plan to the table. None mm -hmm. of the other trainers ever did. But he was the first person to ever start talking to me about nutrition. And so um, – it's really, I mean, it wasn't in great detail, but it started opening my eyes a little bit. Um, and, and then eventually I got certified myself because I just loved it. I was a school counselor, talked to people for a living, which is great. You have to do that as a trainer, right? That was already in place. I already knew how to do that. Um, the psychology piece, I already knew that. It was just learning more technical stuff for, for the training piece. So I got certified while I was still a school counselor and just got a part-time gig at a gym. So after school, I would go to that gym twice a week and they would load me with clients, 30-minute sessions. I would do maybe four or five each time I was there um, and got my basic hands-on training there. Uh, and a great experience that was. And then I moved to a private training company and I retired worked more for them than I didn't like the direction they were going. So I just did group training at my school that I retired from for the staff, everybody after school, brought in a partner that grew to be pretty big. And that's kind of how Susan Niebergall Fitness was born through that. Um, started the whole online thing. Jordan helped me really construct my online business and get that going. Was a member of his inner circle from the get-go when he first started it and um, then we decided to partner up and do it together. And so that's kind of my 
trajectory is now more inner circle right now than private one-on-ones. Although I'm thinking I would like to do maybe some local one-on-one training, live training, just a couple people, um, just, you know, to get back into the in-person thing, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, but being able to go online, I can help more people too. So it's kind of, you know, a give and take kind of scenario, but, um, that's how I've kind of come through this industry and then learning everything that I've learned since Jordan was my coach. And he still is. He writes all my programming, everything. He's taking me up to my hip replacement surgery next month. So um, he still writes everything for me. But when I first hired him back in my mid fifties and learning just from him, the basic stuff about nutrition and scale fluctuations and stuff that we, you know, when I grew up, this, if the scale went up, that was bad. If it went down, that was good. That's all I knew, you know, but now I understand what, why the scale might spike up one day when your nutrition hasn't changed. I didn't understand any of that, but once I grasped all that and, and, um, really learned from him, oh my goodness, everything changed. And so I changed how I thought changed, how I looked changed, built a lot of muscle, did a lot of things. And now I'm like, well, my God, if I can do it, anybody my age can do it. It's not an age thing. You know, I, I used to think it was an age thing for me too, but it, it's not. So that kind of brings me back to now what I want to do is just to get the word out there to all the middle-aged women. Look, you can do this at any age. You can turn it around. You know, that's the cool thing, right? It's never too late to, to make any change. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. And I think too, I just had a lady reach out to us, um, the other day and, and she had inquired about talking to me and then I, I was working with clients for a couple hours and so I didn't see it. But then when I had finally gotten to the message, she had said, sent a second message, which read something along the lines of, Hey, uh, no need to contact me anymore. I have a disability. She wasn't specific with it, but, um, I just don't think that the gym is going to be right for me. And I messaged her back and was like, Hey, we help people with disabilities, injuries, leading up to surgeries all the time. Uh, if it's still worth it for you, I would love to, to chat with you and you know, whether or not it works out, I think you'll enjoy at least seeing if we could make something work. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately she was like, no, um, it's okay. I'll, I'll reach out if I, if I feel ready, but not just age, but any, I, I feel like fitness in general, it's just people don't realize how accessible it is at whatever level, right? It doesn't matter yeah. if you are older, young, fully abled or disabled, you know, it, it's something that you have the ability to improve and you probably don't realize if you, if you don't work out how much of an impact it's going to have on your life. So I just wanted to add that in there too. Yeah. And, um, and your life and your longevity from here moving forward. Right. And, and to your point, people don't understand the power in just walking every day, you know, just making sure you're getting out and moving your body in some way every single day. There's so much research that shows the benefits of just doing that, right? And when you start doing that and you start feeling better about yourself and physically, then maybe you're ready to look more closely at your nutrition. You know what I mean? And maybe dial that in a little bit if you want to or, or whatever. But I mean, it's just snowballs from there, you know? And, and it's one of the most underrated forms of exercise. I think a lot of people take the attitude of why bother? You know, it's just a walk. Like I just walk my dog. Well, 
I wish I had a dog to walk. That would be great. <laughs> I wish I did. It would, it would make me get outside and walk. You know, I wouldn't, I walk in here, do what I do other forms of movement too. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think people overlook just simple things and how beneficial that they can be. Yeah. When you are working with a client, they come to you and you're laying a foundation for them. Are there any specific pillars that you like to talk about on day one with people on what they should be uh, starting to address? You know, I, it's very, it's going to be really individual depending on the person and where they're at. There, there are some people that are ready to change it all. Like they can, they can keep all the plates spinning. They're really good at that kind of thing. They want to hop in and just go. They want to get their nutrition dialed in. They want to track their calories. They want to do the protein. They want to check on fiber and they want to work out. They want to lift weights three days or four days a week. They want to do it all. Great. For that person, yeah, I would set them up with a, with a nutrition plan based on if they want to lose weight, build muscle, whatever it is, tracking calories and protein and fiber, um, and then set, set them up with a training plan three to four days a week. And then also reminding them daily movement steps, whatever. If you're step counter, cool. If you're not, just whatever kind of movement works for you. But there are other people that's like, oh, Lord, that's a lot to change. You know, and I think a lot of people fall into that, especially people my age. It would be overwhelming. And mm. when it gets that overwhelming, you know, nothing happens, right? It's mm. paralysis. So um, I, would, I would tell someone, we can focus on one or two things. We'll do one or two pillars at a time. And, and if it's one, I always say start with walking. Get that to the point where it's your daily non-negotiable I don't care how long, I don't care how fast, you just get out there and go. And oddly, what happens is it becomes longer, especially if the weather's nicer, you know, they'll, maybe they'll go outside for a little bit longer, they'll listen to a podcast, what, whatever it is. But a lot of times, I'll have them start just with that. If they want to take on a nutrition thing with their walking, I'll say, you know what, let's start focusing on protein at every meal. Let's just start with that. You know, because Oddly enough, protein is a foreign concept for a lot of people, especially in middle age. It's like they've never thought of protein separately. They've never tracked it. They have no idea how much protein is in any kind, you know, four ounces of chicken. They have no idea. So, okay, so let's start, me measure it. Weigh that piece of chicken. Let's see how much protein's in it. Let's learn about protein. Stick with protein. So some people walking and focusing on protein is, is a great place to start. Some people are like, man, um, I, I want to change it all. I'm ready to change it all. And, and even this with nutrition, here's, here's one step back even. I'll tell some people to get out a pad of paper and pencil. Forget your computer. Forget your phone. It's old school paper pencil. Keep it in the kitchen. And every single time that you go in there and you put something in your mouth, you write it down on that piece of paper. Um, whether it's a bite of something, whether it's I had lunch and my lunch was a sandwich and blah, 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 whatever it is. I had a cup of coffee. I drank some water. I had a handful of chips. Whatever it is, you write it down. You don't weigh it or measure it. You just write it down. And all of a sudden, you start accumulating this long list of things that you put in your mouth every day. And pe when people see this visual, it's like, oh, my God, had no idea. I was putting that much food in my mouth every single day. It's an eye opener. And the cool thing is when you handwrite it, it sticks in your brain more. There's all kinds of research to back that up as opposed to 
we aimlessly type on our phone and our computer all day long. That will mean nothing if you just enter something and just move on. But when you have to take time to write it on that piece of paper, it's going to stick in your brain more. And now you're looking at this list going, oh, my God. So you can start making changes just from this list. I'm not going to go grab those two handfuls of chips tomorrow like I grabbed today. You know, little things like that, because as you know, you have to be honestly aware of what you're consuming. I mean, we all think we're consuming less than we do, you know, and it, we've got to start with a basic, honest awareness of everything that we consume in a day. And this is a great way to start. It's a great way for someone who's really hesitant to start tracking and thinking it's going to be cumbersome and all this stuff. Okay, don't, don't go there yet. Start here. Start with that. Let, let's see how much you're consuming every single day, just on a piece of paper. And I have people do that for weeks and the list gets shorter. You know, that's what's fascinating about that. You see their, their list gets shorter because now they're cutting out all these extra little things, the extra latte, the extra handful of this, a handful of that. And all of a sudden they start seeing the scale start to move a little bit just from little bitty changes, you know? So it's a cool, it's a cool thing to have. And I'm a real stickler about paper and pencil for this. Hmm. I think that's a good strategy. And I, I sort of do something similar when I'm meeting with people who, um, are working on the nutrition side of things. Something that I appreciate about what you're saying is that it's a very slow, methodical process that I'm always so honest about people when they come in that where you said like the not sexy stuff doesn't sell. It's I'm very honest about that. I'm like, Hey, this is going to be probably one of the harder things that you've ever done, but it's going to be super worth it. And I'm going to help you. And I believe in you and you can do it. Yeah. Um, and I always you know, after you build a relationship with somebody, I don't say this on day one, but after about a month of training, we've usually come to this mutual agreement that the original timeline that the person came in and said, I'm going to lose 50 pounds in three months is out the window. They understand that that is not going to take place. But what you get is this cool thing, which is what you're describing, where people just slowly start to become a little bit more attuned to the things that they're doing. And oftentimes I find that people just make the changes on their own. Mm -hmm. I think that in part, we have to do a lot of education. And I don't think people are as educated sometimes as we, as we say in regards to the nuanced stuff like protein and how, how your body responds to certain amounts of protein and you know, how much you need and um, you know, giving somebody their, their macronutrient profile or whatever. You know, that's, that is our job to give them some of those nuanced things. But for the most part, I think if you ask people, they know that to lose fat, they should exercise more and eat less for the most part. Right. Um, but I think, uh, what you, what you're saying is, is right on. And I just wish more people, and I hope people listening can, can hear this is that these things that you want to accomplish, whether it's a lower body comp or a, a better body composition or a lower body fat or more muscle are super, super attainable to you right now. You just need to realize that it's going to take some time and that's okay. And you can't give up when you feel frustrated with it because though the reason you give up is the reason why you don't have of those things in the first yeah. place. Yeah. You, you got to stop quitting when the going gets tough, you know? And, and I think, um, that's a big issue with, especially people that have gone through the decades of crap that, that we all at my age went through and believing it. I mean, it's hard because, we we will give something a week. Oh yeah, it doesn't work. I'm I'm off to something else. So they're program hopping their their 
whatever hopping and they don't give anything enough time to work. And at the slightest little frustration, the slightest little um, turn that, that it, or struggle, they, they're just like, see, it doesn't work, <laughs> you know, instead of, no, you know what, if you just keep doing what you're doing, just keep going, trust it and hang with it a little bit longer. You'll see, you, you'll see it will start to work. It's just, we set these unrealistic expectations in our head. And I think those are killers. And, and then they, those expectations, like I should be losing weight faster. The should be's, the should be's are killers. You know, there's no should be's. I only lost someone I saw on a post just today said, I only lost, what was it? Two kilograms this month. So kilograms, what's that? Four something pounds. Yeah. Okay. I'm in a weightlifting coach, so all of my weightlifting is done. And I like I I've got a 2.2 2, uh, <laughs> kilogram to pound calculator in my brain that just I love it. I love it. But this person was disappointed that they only and I'll put that in quotes lost four kilograms in a month. And I'm like, I mean, two kilograms in a month. Are you kidding me? That's phenomenal for the month. That is nice, sustainable weight loss. And this person wasn't good enough. You know, and that's when people throw in the towel and because they start letting, and, and this is a big one for me, they start allowing emotion to wake up and start bop, 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 in their head, right? Chatting. You screwed up. It's, you're not doing this right. It's not happening fast enough. Something's wrong. Blah, blah, blah. And then they acquiesce to all, all the emotion. Emotion's telling them to quit. Emotion's telling them to try something else. And they do it. Instead of logic, which we all have logic voices in our head, but for a lot of people, logic voices are asleep in the back. They need to be wide awake and telling you, you know what? Don't worry that the scale spiked. You didn't eat 5,000 calories over your maintenance yesterday. You just had a few extra carbs. You're retaining some water. It's going to work itself out. That's the logic voices that we don't tend to retrieve in our brain. We allow emotion to now to now tell us what to do. And my analogy for this whole thing is when you're in a car, the driver of that car, it's their responsibility to get you from point A to point B. And if we have a weight loss car, the driver's nutrition. If your nutrition's not in check, you ain't losing anything, right? So nutrition drives the weight loss car. Training is the passenger of that weight loss car. Training is the dude riding shotgun with the map, helping you get to where you want to be, but it's not training's responsibility to get you to your weight loss goal. It's nutrition's job as the driver. But then we have emotion in the back seat. And emotion is the one going, turn left, turn left, turn left, turn left. It's shorter this way. This is a shortcut. Turn left. You screwed up. You need, you need, you need to go down this way. And so you turn left. And now you're lost. You're on this road. You have no idea where you are. You're, you're, you're mad. Nothing's working. You have to backtrack all the way back to the main road because you listened to emotion when you knew all along you shouldn't have listened, you should have gone straight. You knew that deep down in your gut, but you let emotion talk you into turning left and you got lost. And then you had to backtrack and come back to that main road. And this is how this scenario plays out for a lot of people. It's when we allow emotion to get involved and now dictate what we do. And that's a huge mindset shift. I mean, it's huge. It's not easy. And, and I feel like it takes a lot of practice, you know, it's almost a skill to learn again, you know, and I think it takes a lot of practice. 
and you're not going to be successful all the time. Just like when you try anything new, you're going to have some days where you do great with it and some days where you don't, but that's part of the learning process. Yeah. I'll, I'll just echo that. It definitely is a skill that you have to practice. And I actually use a very specific framework or dialogue whenever I feel like quitting something. Um, this can be applied. I usually explain this to, to clients when it's in regards to weight loss or strength gain, or, you know, I, I personally don't, I'm fortunate that I love working out and eating healthy. So this isn't something that yeah. I necessarily struggle with, but this has definitely happened with this podcast before. Anytime you feel like you want to quit for the, do the same thing. Just use logic. Think about the logical conclusion of where that ends up. I know what it's like to not have a podcast. That's why I started a podcast because I did not like not having a podcast. And so if I quit, I'm going to be right in that same place that I was when I decided that I wanted to do this. And so using logic, the only conclusion that I can come to is I need to persevere and stick it out. And eventually I'll get over this rut or whatever that I'm in. The same thing can be applied to weight loss. You know, you know what it's like to be at the certain body fat or, or weight or not have the fitness level that you want, which is why that you decided to start this in the first place. So if you quit, you're going to be maybe not necessarily back where you are right away, right? This is a a progression that needs to take place over the course of your life. But, you know, if you follow the quitting to the logical conclusion, you're not going to get the thing that you said you wanted to. And for the same reason you said, you know, what you're doing is working deep down. You just need to stick it out. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be willing to put your feet down and tell yourself, shut up. You know, I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I think I tell people when, when you step on the scale and you see it spiked up and you're frustrated because you've been perfect with your nutrition most of the week and all of a sudden, for some random reason, the scale decided to spike. And, and we could talk about all different reasons why the scale does that. People saying, well, the scale's fickle. It's a, no, it's not fickle. It actually is probably a very good measuring tool as it measures all of you. It doesn't measure just fat. It measures everything, fat liquid, organs, bones, tissue, I mean, everything. But immediately when the scale goes up, we think it's measuring fat only, you know, it's, and I, I think practicing telling yourself, no, wait a minute. I didn't eat 5,000 calories last night, you know, over my maintenance. Cause that's how you'd probably gain a, a pound or so uh, of fat. I just went out and had a couple pieces of pizza and a beer, you know, I'm full. I'm really full or whatever it is. You know, I, I'm, I'm retaining water. I still have content in my stomach. This is why the scale spiked up. And I ate late on top of that. So working your way through logical reasons as to why this is happening, um, as opposed to letting emotion go, oh my God, I gained three pounds of fat overnight. No, you didn't. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, God help you if you do. I mean, holy smokes, the amount that you must have eaten the <laughs> night before would be like, uh, I can't even imagine it. But I can relate to all of that, though, because I used to think the same thing, you know, because when we when we grew up, the scale went up. That was a bad thing. When the scale went down, that was a good thing. There was no nuance to it. We didn't understand that. And that's why. For me, sitting in the doctor's office waiting room was the most stressful event ever because you knew when you go behind the door, you're stepping on that scale. It's the first thing they do, right? And especially back in the day, now they have all these digital scales, but back in the day, you know the type I'm probably talking about, the old school ones with the big bar that you move the thing down. 
and it balances, you know, and <laughs> you step on that thing and they move the big chunk bar down and then they have to move the little bar and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going and you're screaming in your inside going, stop. You know, I just remember those days and how horrible they were because I didn't understand what any of those numbers truly meant. You know, I just, I put too much value in what that number meant as to me as a person, as a success or a failure. You know, if it, the scale went up, I was a failure. If the scale went down, I was a success, you know? I just, I wasn't educated, but now like your generation, you guys are so much more educated about this stuff than our generation was at your age. Right. And I think every generation has a leg up. I have a leg up on my parents' generation. I mean, we all have a leg up on the one that came before us. Um, so it's great that hopefully when you guys are my age, you won't be dealing with these things, maybe other things, but maybe not these kinds of things that we didn't know, you know, when I was growing up. Yeah, I don't know if I have a good grasp on my generation's understanding. I, I'd like to think that, like you say, it's it's better. At, and it's just hard to tell because of social media. It's like, I'm a fitness yeah. trainer. I follow lots of fitness trainers. Yeah. I consume fitness content all day, every day. And so I'm just riddled. I just assume this is something everybody knows. But, you know, at some level, that's probably not true. You know, like my fiance, for example, she is not a fitness person. She works out weekly because she has to, to live longer. She doesn't enjoy a single second of it. She just does it anyways. Yeah. But so, you know, I think for her, for example, she has me as almost an educational source to ask questions yep. to, but people that are in that same uh, boat, maybe don't have the same level of resources available to them. I guess my question is, why do you think that so many people uh, struggle to understand the realities of the scale? You know, I, I don't, I, th that's a tough question because I think, I think it is generational for a lot of people. Um, I think if you could sample people, you would definitely see that, um, an older crowd will struggle with it. I think more just because of what I said, you know, we have decades, you know, when you're my age, you talk in decades <laughs> and, and that's an unfair advantage in something like this, because there's a lot of experience there. So a lot of the scale going up is bad, going down is good in your brain for 30, 40 years, that doesn't go away. You know, that's not going to go away completely. It doesn't for me, even, even though I know all of this now, when I step on the scale, I still step on the scale every day. Cause I just, I keep tabs on my maintenance. I'm in a maintenance range. I just keep tabs on it. And uh, it just, the number doesn't mean anything to me anymore, but when it goes up, I still get that initial kick in the gut. You know, it yeah, still happens to me, but the difference is I'm educated now. So I don't let emotion now take me down the left-hand turn thing. You know, I, I just put it away. I, I understand what's happening. And I think that's the issue. People just don't understand why the scale fluctuates every single day. And it, it fluctuates all day. You know, I've often thought about trying just an experiment, just step on the scale like six times during a day and just see for myself, what my weight does in a given day. It does all kinds of crazy things. I did this once. So did I usually you? hover, I usually hover around 200 pounds uh -huh. and I did this once. And this was many, many months ago. I think around then my, my maintenance weight for the most part was like 210. It was a little higher than I wanted it to be. So this was right before I uh, took on like a little bit of a fat loss phase. And I weighed myself uh, in the morning. I was 206. Uh-huh. And then I went and I worked out, 
um, got home, did some work, had a shower, ate a bunch of food. I was 209. Yeah. And then at the time, I was training for an ultra marathon. Oh, wow. Okay, so I went out for a really long run. And when I got back, I was like 201. It was crazy. <laughs> and uh, I wish that I had taken pictures of the scale. Yeah. Because I would have totally shared that on social media. Oh, 100%. Man, I, like for all of those same reasons. Like imagine I, I shared this with my fiance, who was my girlfriend at the time. And she like could not believe she was like, wow, how do you, you know, how do you lose all this weight so fast? I'm like, this isn't weight. Like, I'm going to drink a bunch of water yeah. and I'll be, I'll be right back to where I was. Yeah. You know, it's something, I think uh, Jordan did this thing where he had a bottle of water, chugged the whole, you know, st- stepped on the scale before he drank it, chugged a bottle of water and stepped on the scale right after. And of course the scale's up like a pound plus or what, or, or whatever it was, but the, stuff like that is stuff that I think people benefit seeing, you know, Mm -hmm. because they don't understand why is the scale going up when I've been perfect with my nutrition. They don't understand that you're, you're probably retaining water. They don't understand that when you go lift heavy weight, that your muscles are probably holding onto water as part of the repair process. Um, that's one thing that I couldn't wrap my head around. Like I, I didn't understand that that was the last one to hit, hit home for me. Um, I understand having content in my stomach still, like I haven't digested everything, um, carbs and the glycogen and, and retaining water. People don't understand that most of that fluctuation that you were talking about and what a great example your day was when you did that. It's water. You're either losing it or you're gaining it. You know, I mean, most of a day to day is water. And then people come back and say, well, how do I know if I'm actually losing weight then? And, um, for people that don't understand, I think that's a, a legit question if you don't really understand. And that is that you track your progress over time. That's how you know. Because if you're one of these people that will step on the scale every day and watch the fluctuations happen, do it for like 30, 60 days, every single day, just collect the data, move on. You have one of these apps that track it really well. It'll You'll see kind of a bunch of squiggly lines. It'll look like a heart rate monitor probably. And if you have an app that'll give you a trend line, what you will find is that if you've been consistent with hitting your numbers, your, your trend line is going to start, it's going to go down slightly. Like it's going to have a downward trend. But if you look at the plotted, the plotted points on all your weigh-ins, they're all over the place, right? Some are above that line. Some are below that line. Some are on that line. They're everywhere. But the overall trend over the 30 or 60 days is down. And so learning to do that kind of stuff, I think, is super important. And I'm a huge proponent of stepping on the scale. I know people, there's some people, it's probably not beneficial for them to do it for a lot of reasons. But for most people, especially if you have a fear of the scale, the only way you're going to get through that, the only way that the scale is not going to own you is if you step on it every day and start looking at the data, look at what happens, get emotion out of it. That's the only way that's going to happen. You know, avoiding it's never going to make it easier for you, you know, ever on anything. Actually, you have a fear of something, you got to face it, you know, in some way, shape or form. And I feel that that's how it is with, with the scale for most people. I know there are probably some severe cases where people probably should stay away from it. I get it and, and, and do it. But for most people, I think it is a useful tool. I think we rely on it too much um, because that comes from lack of understanding, I think. Um, But it's a pretty accurate measurement, you know, 
And if you understand what it's measuring, then I think it can be very, very helpful. Yeah, I, I would just echo that. I agree that with that 100%. I weigh myself every morning. Um, and and what's, what's crazy to me is all the same things that you said exist in me. I still sometimes get on it and I'm like, oh man, yeah, fatty, you got to tighten it up. Like we're human beings. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, you know, objectively, I know that yep. what's happening, um, uh, but you're right. And, and what it saved me is, you know, maybe I do go through a couple, for example, I did all last year. I drank zero alcohol. I didn't drink any alcohol and I, I did a podcast actually. And I said how, because of my last year, I was going to probably drink a little bit less, but occasionally every once in a while. And I totally went off the rails. I've drank way more days this month than I haven't drank. Okay. Like I've probably drank, I probably drank 25 days out of January. All right. And so for example, say you go through a time, I didn't gain any weight, by the way, I should just mention that if everybody hearing, you know, I didn't gain any weight and I drank 25 days out of January. I should have, I should have documented that. Yeah, that would Uh, be good too. But if I had a couple months where I was going, you know, I was getting a little bit off track. I was, I wasn't paying a lot of attention. You can see that on the scale before anything gets to a, a position where you don't want to, if you don't weigh yourself, but four times a year and you go four months without, yeah. without paying attention to the food you eat, you're just like, who cares? I'm just going to live my life. And then you finally work up the courage to step on the scale and it's, and you've gained 15, 20 pounds. Like if, if you just have that relationship with the scale to where you know what it says you're comfortable with the, the idea that it might go up, it's going to go down. You can catch those things before you get off track. And you, yeah. you, live, in the, you live in the middle way yeah. where you're very much between these two extremes of, uh, you know, it, it's the same line of thinking. Being super rigid and, and indulging, it's the same exact line of thinking. You need to exist in the middle where it's a balance and you're giving yourself a little bit, bit of leeway, but you stay disciplined for the most part. Yeah. And, and, you know, I tell people to think of it this way. If you're, if you want to get the most out of weighing yourself, if you weigh yourself once a week, you have in, in the, in a period of a month, you have four data points you're working with. That's it. Four. If you do it once a month, you have one. If you do it every day, you have 30 or 31 data points, which will get, will it will give you more information about what's actually happening, right? I would rather have 30 to 31 data points and be able to use them rather than having four data points and try to make heads or tails out of what's going on. And and let's say you step on the scale once a week. Let's say you step on the scale every Monday um, in the morning. Well, what happens if you step on that scale on a Monday and that happens to be a day that the scale spikes, it just, it's, a, it's one of those days where it just spikes. You're going to think, oh my God, I've lost progress this week. You know, it, it's not working. But what you've missed is everything that happened during the week prior, right? You, you missed all the fluctuations. You missed how the trend was actually heading down until you had this little baby spike, you know, and it happened to be on the day that you stepped on the scale. So you don't have the complete picture at all. You're assuming a lot. And I think that's where people get into trouble too. They, they just do this once a week because they just can't step on it every day. It's too stressful. Well, let's start taking the stress out of it. It's not going to get less stressful by stepping on it once a week, not having all the information that's actually happening. What's going to make it less stressful is if you step on it every day Take the emotion out of it by having a conversation with yourself about what's really happening, what didn't happen, 
Don't let emotion get a hold of you. Practice this. It's not going to happen if you don't practice that, you know? And it, it's, you know, I don't want to say it's easier said than done because everything is easier said than done. But it, it's easy. I know it's easy for me to say that. Uh, I know, but, but I lived it too. So I understand both sides of this. I was that person as well. It's just if you if you can hold your feet to the fire and get over this, this scale can be a really valuable tool and you won't obsess over it. It's just going to be data. It's just going to be something. And some people love all the mathy part, you know, where you can do all the math. I, I don't want to do all that, but a lot of people love that. And, and so you, you could plot and put them in spreadsheets and whatever, all those things that people like to do. Um, Lord knows I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I just record my weight and then that's it. That's it. But I really feel strongly about that. I think people avoid it thinking it's going to get easier. And I, do, I just don't think it works that way. Chatting with you, it seems like there's these three things that you focus on. There's the daily movement, there's the nutrition, and then there's the strength training. Yeah. Just to, I want to make sure we, we leave some people with some practical advice. Yep. This will be sort of like a rapid fire. You just give me your favorites going through each one of these. Let's start with what are some of your favorite daily movement things to give to uh, people you train? Um, walking, obviously, is the easiest one because it's accessible really to everyone. I am a girl, though, that likes to ride a bike. And I'm the one that likes to ride a bike that goes nowhere. So I'm not a bike outside <laughs> kind of girl. I'm the bike, like my bike right over here. <laughs> um I think they, they're great bikes now and they're fun classes you can do online. I like hopping on there and having someone else tell me what to do. Uh, for me to sit on there and pedal for a while wouldn't happen. But if I take a class, it will happen. So movement, I want to make this really clear. It's not about steps. We just talk about it as steps because that's the easiest, lowest barrier entry. You know, it can be anything. It can be a bike. Uh, my hip right now loves the elliptical. My hip hates to walk. I don't like walking right now. I'd rather get on the elliptical. It's a lot gentler on my hip. So I'll make a trip to the gym just to get on that elliptical. You know, so it's about movement. So whatever you like to do, I think that's really key. And maybe for your fiance too, you know, I mean, it's, it's like find something that you like to do. Maybe it's Zumba. Maybe it's whatever. Find that because that just movement at whatever level is good. I just find people complicate this way too much. Like, well, how many steps does it equal on a bike? Who cares? You know, it's the fact that you moved that day. That's what's important. Yeah. Whatever. It's a super cliche thing to say, but the, the best fitness program is the one that works. Yeah. Daily movement is the epitome of that. Whatever yeah. you stick to and you do, it, it's daily. Whatever you do every day for the yeah. most part and you, you stick with it long term, do yep. that. Yeah. Let's talk about strength training. Where do you start people with that? Um, I'll start people, you know, if I'm working with them personally, I'm going to start them with maybe three movements my first session. You know, if they have no experience, we're going to keep it really, really, really basic. I want people to feel successful. I want people to have an easy movement that is not complicated with technique, something that they can move some weight on and feel accomplished and then build on that tons of variations, you know, and I'm thinking off the top of my head, I would probably have somebody do a box squat, for instance, bait. And, and if you want to translate that, that can mean sit down and stand up, you know, I mean, if you want to take it to that level, um, I would have somebody potentially do a dumbbell row, you know, that's, and, and I have a certain way of doing it. I don't like having the knee up on the bench. I'll have a three point stance, hand on the bench, two feet solidly on the ground and teach them to pull back towards their hips, something that they can probably do pretty easily. Um, 
and and just keep it a couple movements. I want them to leave a, the first session thinking that they could do more and that they're ready to do more. If they're working on their own, like if they're at their house, I'll say start with these two things. Squat. So sit in a chair and stand up and, and straddle that corner of the chair, sit down, stand up. If that seems really easy, make it a lower chair, you know, or take a box and, and make it lower to make it a little more challenging and do push-ups. But if most people can't do a push-up yet, so, okay, put your hands on the wall and start with push-up form on hands on the wall and eventually go down to the kitchen countertop. Your hands are there. And then maybe it goes down to the coffee table and your hands are there, you know, a slow progression like that. So you're starting kind of with body weight. Um, if you're just on your own at home, want to do a couple strength things before you can do a more formalized kind of approach. That's something that I struggle with, obviously as a trainer and, and an advocate of strength training. Um, you know, obviously I, my, my number one advice, if you can throw all your resources at it is just go hire a coach and yeah. start working with them. Like, uh, honestly, you know. yes. I, I say that all the time too. Uh, and honestly, it's so much easier to start that way. Yep. You have all the tools, you have all the information. Yep. They're going to walk you through it. Yep. Find one that you like, and that teaches you how to do this thing on your own. I think that's a very important part of it as well. 100%. Um, but I do like your analogy of, you know, you're giving those specific things at home. I, I like the push up one. I give the exact same one um, from wall to countertop to, to coffee yeah. table to floor. I, I have just this pet peeve of knee, knee push ups, you know, the like girl push ups, whatever dumb name they, they've given them, just because there's no progression to go from your knees to your, your toes. You're either on your knees or on your toes. There's no in between. But when you elevate your hands, now you can track your progress too. You can elevate your hands on the wall and then you're at the countertop and then, you know, you're slowly bringing your hands down. And so you're also getting used to being in a full push up position, not with the knees bent, with your body in the full position, in the full plank position and learning how to keep that in a nice tight position, keeping your elbows at 45 degrees. You're learning how to do all that from a normal position. You can practice that, right? So that as you work your way down to the ground, you're now ready to push off the floor in with great form. Yeah, I do the same progression. I I, I don't love knee pushups for the exact same reasons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but let's talk about nutrition. Uh, I know we talked about, you know, getting comfortable with the scale. I think that's very important. Tracking your food. Uh, you know, you can't avoid tracking your food. But let's let's give advice for somebody maybe who's been through that. What are some of those non-tracking tips? Like you mentioned protein with every meal. Give me a couple of those that you would give clients that you're working with. One thing, and I was just talking to somebody about this today is focus on making your meals bigger. So you cut out the snacks because we tend to snack a lot. And what people don't understand with snacking is you eat these things that are probably not going to fill you up. You're not going to feel full. And when you don't feel full, you don't feel like you eat. You ate a lot, right? Um, it's kind of a normal thing. And when you don't feel like you ate, eat a lot, you go and eat some more because you're still hungry. And pretty soon you've accumulated a lot of calories and snacks. So if so, if you're a snacky person, I would say take those, take some calories and beef up each one of your meals with a little more protein, a little more carbs, whatever, beef up your meals so that you feel fuller longer and you don't even need snacks. And somebody just sent me a note literally today saying they started doing that and what a difference it made for them. Like they, they are not snacking at all. All of a sudden the scale starts to move, 
Wouldn't you know? You know, I think that's that's a that's a place that people don't look. I think they're trying to dial back the number of calories in their meals, thinking this is a good idea because I'm trying to lose weight. So I'm going to keep my meal at 300 calories and that's not enough to keep you feeling full for very long at all. So let's make that 300 calorie meal a 500 calorie meal potentially. And then guess what? You're not going to need that afternoon snack anymore that you probably started to overeat. You had, you had one handful of chips that probably led to another and you know, everything's light. You don't feel full. So now you're hungry. By the time dinner time comes around, you're like a raving lunatic because you're still really, really hungry. You want to eat everything in sight. Um, it just regulates you more, you know? And, and I think it, it's, it's something that someone who's maybe been tracking and doing things, still struggling a little bit. This is a great place to look. And the, the, the other place to look for someone like that is your weekends. What do your weekends look like? Because chances are you're not at, you don't have the reins pulled in as tight on your weekends as you do Monday through Friday for a lot of reasons. You know, we're out running errands, we're doing this, we're doing, we're eating out all of these things. But the weekends are one of the first places to look if you're not, if you're struggling and you're tracking, you're doing those things and you're still not being successful because you're probably estimating a lot. And, you know, restaurant food's good for a reason. <laughs> you know, that that you, you go to a restaurant, you don't know who's in the kitchen cooking for you. You don't know if they're doing a little deet deet with the oil or with oil, you know? I mean, you could have a big difference in calories. So it's hard to know how much you're actually eating. That doesn't mean you can't go out, but it just means you need to take that into consideration. You know, uh, how much you go out, um, the things that you order. And, and also if you're, if a restaurant has calories in the menu, add 25% and that'll probably get you closer to the reality of where the calories are. Cause you're not going to get out of a sit down restaurant under a thousand calories. Most, most likely, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. And to reiterate, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It just means you need to be able to account for it. And if you go over your calories that day, cool, you go over, right? You hop back on track the next day. You don't let that one meal then lend, lends itself to the next meal and the next meal, and the next meal, all off track, right? One off track meal is not going to make or break anybody, but it's just awareness. It goes back to being aware. Hmm. I'm going to take a really hard uh, turn with this next question. But the name of the show is Good People. And something we like to ask everybody is what they think it means to be a good person. Wow. Wow. What does it mean? to Someone be who steps on the scale every day. No. Yeah. Just- <laughs> no. Um, you know, I think somebody is a good person who, um, and I, I kind of draw this from inside of me. I'm, I'm a person that wants to help people. Genuinely, I want to help people. I'm... I'm not out to make money. I don't care about money. I'm not making very much money. I don't care. <laughs> I want to help people. My intent is loving, helpful. Um, I think that makes a good person their intent. Um, and and I just feel like, you know, I hate using the words friendly and love, but open, open to people, open to hearing people, opening to listen you know, open to, to listen to people, to be able to give feedback and receive feedback. I think all of these things make someone a good person. Um, yeah. I mean, I, all of that sounded really cliche and I'm sorry, but <laughs> I think that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. And I think that to make, hopefully make you feel better, 
we we ask that question to people all the time, and sometimes people just they they say the same thing. It's, it's all cliche, but I think that's you know at some level, cliches are cliche for a reason, and yeah. uh, there's yeah. some truth to to what you're saying. And I definitely very much jive with what you're saying. Yeah, but. Uh, Susan, thanks for very much for doing this. Uh, before we close out, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Just that um, truly, honestly, truly, it's never too late to change. So please don't let that part of emotion get into your brain because it's going to do you a disservice. You can change completely your entire life if you want to. So um, whatever your goals are, doesn't matter. Go after them. Be consistent with whatever it is, and you'll 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 change. Your age has absolutely nothing to do with it. Very good. Also, plug your stuff. And anybody listening, go. I want them to check out your stuff because your your social media content is super awesome, and I think more people would be better by seeing it. Thank you. Um, I'm on Instagram primarily. Um, Susan Niebergall Fitness is where you can find me. Um, I have a, a pretty extensive YouTube channel, same name, Susan Niebergall Fitness. I haven't been on YouTube in a while, but I'm coming back. I'm going to be documenting my hip replacement uh, stuff leading up to surgery and then post-surgery. So you'll be seeing some more current stuff from me there. Um, I wrote a book called Fit at Any Age. It's Never Too Late. And it's basically about my my journey, my story, how I turned it all around and how it affected all parts of my life, not only just physically, uh, but also my business. Um, and that's on Amazon. Cool. I'll be sure to link all that stuff below. So if anybody's interested, they can, they can just scroll right down and check it out, but, um, we'll leave it there. And if you're ever in Harrisonburg visiting JMU, we'll grab a beer. My, my, my son is going down there tomorrow. Oh, really? JMU pep band alumni. Yeah. They're on pep band alumni day at the basketball game. So yeah, I'm not going, but I will, I will let you know that the next time I'm down in Harrisonburg, I will for sure let you know. That'd be great. Seriously, that's that'd be awesome. We'll go. To, you you've been to Billy Jack's, I'm sure. Only once. It wasn't wow. there when it, it wasn't it wasn't there when I was there. And I heard that's where um, the guys on when ESPN was down there. Game day was down Jonas there. Brothers. Yeah. What weren't? Isn't that where the Jonas Brothers were? That's where they went. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, I would love to go there. All right, we'll do it. It's a date. <laughs> All right, Susan, thank you very much. You have a great uh, rest of your night and uh, we'll stay in touch for sure. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Joel. Take care. Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of Good People. Make sure you check out the show notes below to check out Susan's Instagram and all the content that she puts out. If you guys are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please consider rating the show. And if while you were listening, you enjoyed it, please send this episode to someone you love, perhaps your grandma. We'll see you next time.